0: Welcome to the B and A Talks podcast. With me, Wayne Massey. We are working our way through the Gospel of Mark, and this week we've reached Mark chapter four. So, as we begin, let me pray for us, Lord God. We thank you that your Word is living and active. So we pray that as we read and as we think about this chapter, um, that you would work in our hearts and in our minds, teach us new things reveal to us new truths and old truths change us we pray amen so mark chapter 4 begins with one of the most famous parables uh, that jesus told the parable of the sower again jesus began to teach by the lake so be the lake of galilee the crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge He taught them many things by parables and in his teaching said, listen, that comes with an exclamation mark. this is like a big kind of pay, pay attention emphasis. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. So around fields in the day of Jesus would have been a path around the edge to allow people who were traveling to pass through. And so that, of course, would have been hard worn down ground. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants, so they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60 and some a 100 times. Then Jesus said, "Who has, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. When he was alone, the twelve... Uh, and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables. So that they may ever be ever seeing, but never perceiving, be ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed sown in rocky places, um, they hear the word and at once receive it with joy, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among the thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others like seed sown on good soil. They hear the word, accept it and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. A couple of things uh, to know. So um, a really key thing to realize that in uh, a big difference in Jesus' day and our day is today a farmer will plow up uh, a field and then sow. In Palestine then what you would do is sow and then you would plow up after you had sown the seed. So you turn the seed into the soil, as it were. Um, So that's a a key difference. So when we think about this, we're thinking about um, a farmer who sows seed and then is going to plough. And we'll see how that um, is really important. Um, Let's work our way through. I think the first part of the parable is quite, quite simple. It's the story. So the farmer has sown his seed, some's on the path, the birds take it. Some is in ground with rocks, so it doesn't get deep roots. Some is in ground where there are weeds and thistles that choke it, prevent it from growing. And some is in good soil where it grows. And then Jesus goes on to explain. So he talks about um, whoever um, has ears, let them hear. And then straight away we go into the 12, asking. And then Jesus talks about the secret of the kingdom of God. It's the one time in Mark uh, that he'll use that phrase, um, specifically the secret of the kingdom of God. Um, uh, Succeed of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables. So, sets up this idea about there being insiders and outsiders. Now, the first thing to say here this is not about being better than others, but it is about um, are you listening and paying attention to Jesus' words? Um, are you seeing what he is saying, what he is doing, and who he is? Um, we'll come back. This chapter, interestingly enough, ends with a kind of another challenge about that. So, so are you leaning in? are not so it is about insiders and outsiders but not in a sense of who's better but it's actually what are you looking for who are you looking for it's a real reminder i think as i was thinking about this where paul says you know that the message of the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing it comes across as either weakness or foolishness weakness to the jews foolishness to the greeks that actually there is a sense of this kingdom of god message this message of a crucified god has come to save us doesn't make any sense and so, so are we looking and are we seeking out um, Jesus and his truth? He then follows it up with a quote from Isaiah, which is, uh, Mark has slightly played it with. They may ever be ever seeing, but never perceiving, ever hearing, but never understanding. They might turn and be forgiven. The hard thing about that is actually in Isaiah's day, it's a kind of a reminder that Isaiah's message was, was actually to people with a hardened heart um, and this idea that this judgment is coming and so so it's, it's, a, it's a tough thing to hear that actually there are people who will hear the gospel and won't respond and the challenge in the parables is to, to basically to know that those of us who don't respond well we will all face the final judgment but the only thing we'll be able to stand under is whether or not we said yes to Jesus we don't know if those people who've Got hardened hearts is because God has decided that some bits of the church might say that, or if it's because of their their a long way of having that kind of way of seeing the world and not stepping out of it but what it does call me to do is to pray uh, for those who um, I think again and again and again come across god 's people come across the gospel hear the gospel and don't seem to respond that actually I need God to work in their hearts and I need uh, and so so hearing that it should cause me to pray so so the, the, um, I don't know how, how I got there. I do know how I got there. But anyway, so we're, we're, we're privately with Jesus. We've asked him what do these parables mean. And Jesus has basically started them by kind of just going, well, talking about the seriousness of responding to the to the kingdom of God. And then he explains the parable. Um, and he has this phrase, the seed that fell. He repeats it four times. So the first one is the seed that fell on the path. Satan comes and takes it away. So in Jewish thinking, Satan was often linked uh or imagined like a bird who'd come and snatch things away. Uh, And so the path is hard ground, the seed hasn't got in, and Satan comes and and with his lies, with his deception, snatches it away. Satan, we know already from Mark's Gospel, has been defeated in a sense because um, Jesus has faced him down uh, in in the wilderness. We know he's going to be ultimately defeated at the cross, but he is still active And that is the case for us today, that actually we need to pray that we don't believe the lies of Satan, but also, crucially, those people to whom we share the gospel don't believe the lies of Satan. There is an enemy. He is active. So we need to pray uh, that he doesn't get to snatch um, the message of the kingdom, the message of the gospel from those who would hear it. So that's the first time the seed that falls on the path um, is snatched away by Satan. The second time the seed falls, it falls in rocky ground. Now... Um, one of the another Jewish thinking of the day would be that actually the wicked have failed to put down deep roots, um, and the troubles of this life reveal basically how shallow um, our faith is, um, if we have accepted a Jesus who's to make our life a bit better. Um, so uh, thinkers in in the West have come up that a lot of Western. Christians fall into what's called moral therapeutic deism. So God wants me to be good. He's there, uh, moral, therapeutic. He's there to make my life better. Deism, he's kind of active but a little bit distant. Moral therapeutic deism. And if we fall for a kind of shallow view of faith, when troubles come, you know, I've been good. How come my life hasn't got better? Therapy, therapeutic therapy, uh, we begin to doubt. Whereas actually a deep faith understands that in a fallen and broken world, the kingdom of God is broken in. And that in this life we will have troubles and yet God will be with us and working through them and working in us during them. And, and so when the troubles come, it often reveals um, what we've really been standing on, where we've been really building our identity. Um, is our faith really in, in the God of eternity? I was thinking about the famous quote from the Corrie ten Boom who spent time in a, in a Nazi concentration camp. She said, when the tunnel goes dark... You don't, um, you don't get off the train, you hold the ticket even tighter and trust the driver. When the tunnel goes dark, you don't get off the train, you hold on to your ticket even tighter and trust the driver. Um, and so that's what Jesus is saying, is those people for whom they, they've not quite got the full message of the cross and the gospel, that actually we, we live in sin we've been rescued from it. But we live in a fallen world through which God is at work. And that without the cross, uh, we're all lost. That actually we begin to kind of, when troubles come, when life's, you know, well, Jesus isn't making my life any better. Um, And so that's the the image of those stones that actually the troubles of this life will reveal whether or not you and I have a a deep faith. And the only way to get a deep faith is to know the truths of our faith, but also to walk closely with God. Uh, The seed that fell the third time falls uh, in ground where there's thorns. Um, now Jesus uses the phrase the worries of this life but actually what lies behind that is the concept of being oh there goes a car down the road uh, the concept of being lured by other things enticed by the other things of this life Um, success, family, uh, short term goals not living for eternity maybe even living for next week or even ten years but actually um, things that would lure us away from from God being the number one thing in our life reminding me of when Jesus says it's easier for a rich man um, to pass through the eye of a needle than to get uh, to heaven because actually these other things crowd us in and take up our attention and seem exciting. And so that's, that image works really well, doesn't it? That idea of as, as our faith grows, that other things that might grow up with it will, will choke out our faith. And then finally, the seed that fell on the good soil. When God's word reaches good soil, it flourishes and it produces a crop. Um, and I don't think there's any value judgment, Some's 30, some 60, some 100, just knowing that actually under God, in God's economy, some of us produce um, more fruit uh, than, uh, than others. But actually, 30, 60, 100, it's good. Good soil produces good fruit. Now, let me go back to um, the ploughing. So I think the key thing here is not to be fatalistic about this. Oh, am I a path? Or am I rocky soil or am I thistly soil? But actually to remember that the farmer ploughs the field after he has sown the seed. And so the invitation is to allow God to plough us. Um, When I recorded this passage for the weekly service, I thought about some roses that I've just planted in my front bed. And the ground was quite compact. So first of all, I had to dig it up. And then I had to fertilize it with some um, dried fish bone, because roses like that, and also some compost and run that all the way through. And then I dug a hole and I put my rose in and then I watered it and fertilized it again. So, so for my rose to flourish, I've made the soil good. And that's what God wants to do in your life, in my life. He wants us to be good soil. So if we have bits of us that are like a path and rock hard, he wants to break it up for good. And um, if there are places in my life where there are rocks, other things that would lure, um, that would, you know, places where I'm shallow in my life, um, or places where um, maybe pain in my life ha- causes me to think uh, wrongly about doctrine or about the nature of a person of God, he wants to remove those rocks. And, and if there are other things planted in my life that would lure me away from him, he, he, wants, to, he wants to pull those weeds up uh, or he wants to put them in their proper place so that I can be good soil. And the big thing there is he's not interested in me being good soul for his purposes. You know, um, he hasn't to, to, you know, he doesn't want to use me, but he wants me and you to be all that we could be, to be the people um, that he has designed and made us to be um, were it not for sin, uh, to, to find our, our being and our life in him alone, um, to find fulfillment in him alone, and then to live for his ways, which actually, that's the gospel. is life is better by far. So, so as we hear this, the two places are: one, are we are we people who go and scatter His seed, um, and then are we allowing our hearts to be plowed over, and, and in the lives of others around us, are we doing the work of the Lord to, to plow up them to make them up to make Him to enable Him to make others good soil? Do that make sense? So, as you hear the parable of the sower, don't be fatalistic, um, but say to the Lord, "Would you t- would you make me good soil, and would you help me to make others good soil?" Okay, that was the first 20 verses. So let's read on from verse 21. He said to them, Do you bring in a lamp and put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Um, So the main point here is basically the kingdom of God is a light. God, and a light that God has set to do two things. Number one, to guide people, and number two, to expose the reality of this world. And so if you have a light, in a room, it either hangs from the middle of the room or it sits in a high place so it can light up the room. Um, uh, in Luke, of course, Leiden, uh, links it to, uh, Matthew, sorry, links it to being the, uh, the salt of the earth as well. So, so the kingdom of God is a light that guides and exposes. Uh, Jesus says everything will be brought out into the open, and that is a point that actually there is a coming judgment where one day uh, there will be a final reckoning um, and this light will shine absolutely everywhere. And there's a kind of juxtaposition because actually the light shines and yet the kingdom of God seems to be hard for some people to find. Um, and, And there's this element of, well... I'm pausing as I'm thinking about it, it it's just a hard thing to live with, is is that those of us who've discovered the light, it's obvious, and yet there are people who live on our street or work in the desk next to us or in our families who we love who, who don't see the light in the same way. The invitation for us is to get closer to the light, to grow in our relationship with God and in our awareness of his presence, and in there we see more of the light and we learn more, um, and then hopefully we shine more. And then to pray that others would see the light. But to remember the kingdom of God, um, it's a lamp on a stand that guides people and exposes the reality of our world. So consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, will be, um, it will be measured to you and even more. Whoever has will be given more uh, whoever does not have, uh, will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have, will be taken from them. Just, uh, again, it's this, so we believe in grace. Uh, we've been saved by grace. Um, but actually that sense of um, leaning into the kingdom and, uh, and using the gifts God has given you uh, and using uh, the anointing he's placed upon you for his kingdom purposes. Um, we, there's the parable of the talents, jumps to mind um, to each of us has been given uh, a measure uh, and do we use it for his purposes or for our own first 26 he also said this is what the kingdom of god is like a man scatters seed underground night and day whether he sleeps or gets up the seed sprouts and grows though he does not know how all by itself the soil produces grain first the stalk then the head then the full kernel in the head as soon as the grain is ripe he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come now, this is a unique parable to Mark, which is actually quite rare because most of Mark appears in the, um, in other Gospels. But this uh, is, is a kind of Mark and unique thing. Um, and it's just a reminder that uh, it's the same. I, I put my roses in the ground and I know in a sense that I've fertilized the ground and I've dug over the soil. But the roses are just going to grow, you know, and actually already here we are. It's nearly February. And I look at it, I can see them beginning to grow already. And just that sense that in the kingdom of God stuff just happens. Um, and actually that's designed to free us, so we what are we called to do we 're called to pray we 're called to be with the Lord uh, and then just to see what he does and This should free us this sense that actually God is at work, and we get to join in as opposed to we have to make things happen. So tell people about Jesus and pray, um, but it is the Lord who is at work and um, and when the harvest comes, join in with him in harvesting. So, the, so I think it's to free us and to push us to prayer, the, growing, the parable of the growing seed. And then comes another parable, the parable of the mustard seed. Again he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is, if you've ever seen is tiny, which is the smallest of all seeds on the earth, yet when planted it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. Uh, Reference back there to Ezekiel chapter 17 and um, uh, a story of a tree that's planted that that all birds um, gather in. So again it's kind of Old Testament promise coming to pass in Jesus. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable, but when he was alone with the disciples, he explained everything. Um, I love thinking about the mustard seed one because what begins with one man calling 12 disciples and then dying alone on a cross um, has exploded to touch the entire world, uh, to change our calendars. Uh, You know, we we are in twenty. 22 anno domini uh, to 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 be the you know this we might think in the west that church is struggling but across the world the church is growing um, the I, I heard a story this week about one pastor who went to um, a conference in the Toronto Vineyard Church um, from Brazil um, from a church of a few hundred people and now out of his church and all sorts of other church plants. In twenty something years, is about three. I think it's about three hundred thousand Christians. That actually, um, the kingdom of God is growing and the church is growing. And that from, unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, but from the from the seed of Jesus' sacrifice in you and my in you are my place and the resurrection life that exploded uh, on that first Easter Sunday and the coming of the Spirit in that Pentecost uh, has become something that is utterly massive, that has reached all four corners of the globe, is still growing, and that anybody and anybody can find, can perch in its shade. That's what you and I are part of. We are part of this massive movement that started seemingly so small, seemingly inconsequential. The death of a man on a cross in a a backwater of the Roman Empire has changed the world entire. It's changed the whole cosmic history. Everything pivots around this one point. And it's, and it's continuing to grow. Wow. The other thing as well is when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. Uh, Jesus is not in the business of keeping secrets. Uh, he's in the business of revealing who he is, why he has come, or, and, and what this means for us. Uh, and so, so he teaches the parables are to get people thinking uh, and, to, uh, and to get people leaning in. And then to those who, who, who lean in, um, they get to hear they get explanation, they get to see. So there's been, that's a lot of teaching, uh, the parable of the sower, so uh, the lamp on a stand, the parable of the growing seed, the parable of the mustard seed. Uh, it's about the nature of faith, uh, it's about the nature of the kingdom. And then uh, we get this story from verse 35. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died, down and it was completely calm. He said to the disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other. Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. So we love this story um, in our B&A Kids Church because in it Jesus just simply says shush, shush. So the Sea of Galilee has hills all the way around it except to the south and so the wind can funnel up the lake quite often if there's a change in direction quite quickly and it can create these very quick and violent storms. So this is probably what's happened here. Jesus is in the boat, um, he's at the back of the boat sleeping, it's probably the one place you could stay dry um, He's probably tired, but also Mark wants us to see how much he trusts his heavenly father for his well-being, that he can sleep, you know, out on the boat. And when the disciples wake him up and say, oh, do you not care? Um, In the original language in the Greek, it's clear that they know he does care. It's more about how just to get us to see just how panicked they are. So Jesus gets up and he says, quiet, be still. Literally, it's be muzzled. Um, it's the kind of similar language that would have been used um, over exercising a demon so jesus we've seen has authority over the demonic and now suddenly we get to see that his authority extends over all of creation and that is what's going to provoke the answer that ends this chapter who is this man that even the winds and the waves obey him uh, for mark fear is the opposite of faith so if you have faith you will not be afraid and so this Um, demonstration of Jesus' authority over the created order is an invitation to faith in God because actually it's a point of who else would have authority over over the created order except God himself so no wonder they are left in awe going who is this? I think it must be a rhetorical question even the wind and waves obey him so the one who has been doing this teaching is God himself so when we think about the one who can change our hearts and make us good soil. When we think about the kingdom's light shining out, when we think about the seed that just grows and the kingdom becoming massive from such a small seed, this is God at work. It is God at work. And as we reach the end of chapter 4, Mark is asking us with the disciples to go, Do you see who this is? I wonder what that means for you. Right, so that was Mark chapter 4. As ever, we end with three questions. As you go back and read chapter 4 and think about it, the three questions are, they essentially work like this, up, in, out. Up, what did I learn about what God is like? What struck me about the nature of God from this passage? Um, In, number two, what did I need to hear as a follower of Jesus? What struck me that I knew was for me as somebody who's following Jesus? And out, number three, what truth did I see or what struck me that, that will make a difference in the lives of everybody I love and serve? So what did I learn about God? What did I learn about me? And what did I learn that will apply to those I love and serve? God bless you and we'll see you next week for Mark chapter 5.